So you spent a year and a half developing five boards. Yep. Wow. I don't want to um, like start selling a product that is not uh, completely ready and tested. My name is James Hopkin and this is the Hop Podcast. We are up to episode 20. And today I'm talking to Daniel Isley from Rocket Longboards. Rocket Longboards, it's a unique longboard manufacturer based in Switzerland. And Danny's the founder. He's the creator. And I won't give too much away because I sort of discover and dig into how he started, what he, how he makes his boards, I suppose the secret of his success, because he is a huge success. He is a board shop, as in he's a wood shop, makes long boards in a factory in Switzerland, and sells them around the world, and he's very successful. But more importantly, he has connected to skaters around the world. Skaters want to buy his boards. They're more expensive than everyone else's. So what are you doing wrong and what's he doing right? You'll find out in this episode. So I apologies to Danny. This was recorded late 2018. We're getting towards the end of 2019. So we recorded this almost like 10 months ago. It's an awesome episode. Like, don't think you're getting stale bread here. I listened to this podcast again after the kicked out episode and boy, it lifted my spirits. I just love talking to Danny. He he really is an inspiring guy. His attitude, the way he sees the world, the way he sees longboarding and skaters and how he connects to them. It's uh, It really is inspiring. You're really going to like this one because he's a busy guy. He's usually just head down making boards but I got to spend a couple of hours and uh, dig through and find out how he started Rocket Longboards. So I don't think I'm going to say much more than that other than uh, Danny I'm sorry this episode took so long to come out everyone else enjoy we do talk about a few things ignore the bits about um the current lineup that it's not available it's all available it's all on his website i've got links go to the show notes the show notes are pretty good for this episode they're on the hopkins skate blog just go to hopkin.com.au go to the top menu find blog find the episode uh i think this one will be called the rocket man episode number 20 and see the show notes i've got up there the his first longboard the uh the swiss brands i talk about we we discuss a podcast episode i've linked to that and a whole lot more a lot of photos but but you know what is on those show notes is i've done some screen grabs of some videos that rocket longboards it's on after you've watched after you listen to this episode Go to the Rocket Longboards website, rocketlongboards.ch or rocketlongboards.com, and there's a video on the front page that's like a banner video. And there's also the five years of Rocket. I think that's on Facebook and YouTube as well on their accounts. And it has videos of Danny in the factory and also 
shows the router and his presses and his molds. And we discuss all that in this episode. So when you discuss it, and I do go into it because I sort of like didn't really understand how he was making his boards, he explains it. And when you see the video, it makes sense. You see his factory and everything. It's a good companion. So have a look at that. And wow, after this episode, I'm telling you, you're going to want to buy a Rocket Longboards deck because ah, Danny's the man. He really is inspiring. And this is a good episode. I'll see you on the other side of it. So I have Daniel Isley on the line from Switzerland. Whereabouts in Switzerland are you? Are you right now? Um, I'm right now in my workshop that's in central Switzerland. Uh, so what would be a major town near that someone that uh, people around the world would know? Yeah, probably Zurich. It's like 45 minutes from Zurich, like okay. half an hour from Luzerne. And have you always lived there? Yep. Um, I grew up here. Um, in between, I uh, lived uh, 13 years in the French part of Switzerland, where I did my studies. Um, but now I'm actually back in the town I grew up. What is the town that you live in? Like, Is it a big town? Is it a city? Is it... No. Nah. It's actually pretty small. It's, uh, it has, like, I think, like 3,000 inhabitants. Um, it's just like a typical rural, um, small Swiss town in the mountains. And when you say your factory, what's your factory? Is it like a, a shed or are you in like an actual factory? Is it like, yeah, I wouldn't call it factory. I call it a workshop. It's a workshop. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. It's a hundred square meters. Um, I'm in the building where, um, the building like... was. It's actually from a construction company, and I'm just in the top, I, I'm renting the top floor. Okay, so it's sort of like an industrial complex. Yep. All right. I'm just trying to get the the picture of uh, where you are. So, yep. uh, Daniel is the founder and uh, head honcho at Rocket Skateboards. Is it Rocket Skateboards or Longboards? Rocket longboards. Rocket longboards. Yeah. And it's a question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. What was your first skateboard? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that. My my first skateboard was um, a really cheap, trashy, old school board, um, like mid eighties. But I would not call that my first skateboard because I didn't really skate on it. We were just sitting on it and like roll down. My first real skateboard was in uh, 96 when I was 16. Um, was a, an Indiana slalom board, like no. a typical Swiss style slalom board with a lot of flex and uh, with some ace trucks and Kryptonic wheels. Wow. I've got an Indiana skateboard. I've got the S really? type Indiana one. Yeah. Yeah, see, I had a. You mean S type? You mean the. Uh, Maybe an S Flex from Fibertech. No, 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 no. It was a Indiana board. Yeah. And um, I can still picture it. it it's like in the. Sh <laughs> it's a slalom board. It was in the shape of an S. It sort of like had this okay. really yeah, weird I concave. No, I had that like the typical one. Uh, that super narrow with a lot of camber and uh, and a lot of flex. 
like the, the Swiss style of slalom boards, mm. which actually has nothing to do with the real slalom board, but we called it that way. Yeah. This, they, they sort of reminded me of like skis. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you can also tell that, um, like the construction had a lot to do with, uh, with a typical ski construction. Mm. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, when they started it, they actually came out of a uh, ski or snowboard, um, mm. factory. Cause at the time there was airflow, Indiana, I think there was another brand, uh, Swiss Fibertech. brand, Fibertech. Yeah. Had Fibertech been going that long? Yes. Mm, okay. I didn't know as far that. As I'm, they're more, mm. I think they're in business for more than 20 years. Is Indiana still being made? Uh, I think so. Yes. Uh, they mostly make, um, like stand up paddle boards now. Ah, but as far as I know, you can still buy some, uh, some, some of the, uh, their skateboards. Yeah. But they're st- not very common anymore. No. I still got one of the, I might be an Indiana or Airflow, but it's got that camber. So you stand on it and it sort of flexes down and you can pump on it. They are just such unique skateboards. Definitely. Yeah. And it seems that they just, they, they were only made in Switzerland. That was just a typical Swiss thing. These, uh, these, yeah, Mm. super flexiboards with a lot of camber. Yeah. And they were mainly designed sort of to pump, weren't they? Uh, yeah, I think they were actually just made for uh, daily com- uh, com- uh, commuting. Mm. Mm. And yeah, you could like pump them, but not really like like you pump would pump nowadays, like a long distance pumper. It was just like more in the style of you would pump like a loaded Icarus. Mm. Yeah, and. Loaded sort of brought out a similar sort of board, not, I don't know if it, it sort of had that shape and a little bit of flex, but it wasn't like uh, the way those Swiss boards used to be made. They were, uh, they sure were unique. And the loaded board? Yeah. No, 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 the, the, sorry, I'm just, I'm, I'm lost in reminiscing about uh, old Swiss slalom boards. <laughs> <laughs> so what was so what was your first real longboard again so it was that um yeah. it was that uh indiana and no, where did that it... was just that was just like a pretty short board um that wasn't really considered a longboard i think the, my first longboard i bought in like 2002 um, that was uh, a Seawood. That's a small Swiss brand that doesn't exist anymore. But that was a huge board with no concave, also camber. But we were going downhill on him. Wow. And this, uh, there's mountains, obviously, near you. So this is yeah. like where you're living now, that you would be like uh, bombing down the local mountains? Yeah. Um, it's like, I'm not exactly in the middle of the Alps yet. I'm living just where the Alps start. So we have like, not the real big mountains, uh, around us. We just have like big hills. Um, but they were actually 
perfect to like to to go downhill. Um, we back in the days we were like doing um, morning runs uh, on the on the big mountain passes, but uh, yeah, not anymore. These times are gone. To what, work for that. What what sort of trucks and wheels would you have been using? Um, back in the days, then um, that was actually like Randall downhill trucks, like okay. the Randall DH. Yeah. Or sometimes you would buy a Randall DH, throw away the hangers, and buy the 180 hangers because the Randall's DH had a 160 hanger. And yeah, wheels was either like Kryptonics, early Abec 11s, or actually we had a also a pretty Swiss thing um, wheels called Slicks. They were also made by a Swiss company called Summit. These oh, were yeah, rubber Summit. wheels. Um, and actually, you could uh, as soon as the the rubber was done, you could open the core of the wheels and just exchange the rubber. And uh, the, these were fantastic carving wheels because you actually could you could not go fast on them, but um, you can just like go down straight, throw a couple of hard carves before um, a 180 corner, and just like ride around. You didn't have to to slide or two foot brake. That was also like a pretty Swiss thing, I guess. Yeah, because I was going to say. The, the Swiss are renowned for building what they need. So <laughs> yeah. there's, uh, I was going to say, it just surprised me that there weren't like Swiss trucks or someone making, uh, I suppose uh, you'd need casting and all that sort of stuff, but wheels, I, I like yeah. that idea, that, that idea of uh, changeable, it's like a reusable hub. You see that mm -hmm. occasionally get recycled, that idea. Yeah. But yeah, the thing is, um, I think nowadays um, it would be too tricky because you really um, have a closer look at cores and uh, how the cores support uh, the urethane. And back then with, the, with these slicks, it was just like uh, a milled core and nobody really cared about how that core supported uh, the wheel. It was just like to hold the rubber on your trucks. Mm. And when did you decide to make your first board? Is it around this time? Um, no, that was later. Um, my first board I built in 2009. Um, I wrote like a couple of different boards. I had uh, land yachts, I had a rain, um, I had some Swiss boards. And yeah, the decision to, to, to build a board was actually because of a, of a German longboard forum. Um, there were so many people like building those high-end carbon foam core boards, and I thought if they can do it in their kitchen, I can do them. I can do that too. And so, yeah, I informed myself and uh, bought all the materials and uh, built my my first board. It was a also like a carbon glass fiber foam core board. Wow! And, so uh, your first board, it's carbon fiber foam core. Yeah. And this forum, that's the longboard.de, was it? It was uh, called Longboards with a, a Z. With a Z, yeah. that's right. Longboard Z. Yeah. yeah, I remember it. And would. It wasn't just all like 
homebrew sort of stuff in there. There was a few people in there that were sort of building boards semi-professionally, weren't they? So, I mean, it wasn't... Absolutely. Yeah, you had um, Alex, Alex from yeah. there um, who was showing off his boards. He, um, You had um, Pete and Verena from 313. They mm. were also like semi-professional builders at that time. And they made, like, especially like 313, they made these these pieces of art in their kitchen and I thought I have a like at my parents place I have a basement I can use so if they can do it in their kitchen I can also do it in the basement <laughs> and how did the first board turn out your first board yeah it was okay um, it actually it broke pretty pretty well but yeah I realized like I, I built it I wrote it and like the first time you go down on a hill on your own board that you built yourself. That was actually a pretty amazing feeling. But then um, as soon as you ride it, you realize, oh, maybe I could like add a little bit more concave here, have a little bit less here, different wheelbase. Then you start to build another one and yeah, so on and so on. So, and I suppose you bought like enough product to build a few boards. So the cost of making the second one is pretty much like there isn't a cost is there yeah absolutely um i also um the, i i had the press i uh i used a vacuum press and like as soon as you have like all this stuff you have your first mold you have uh, a vacuum uh, pump you have your vacuum bags as soon as you have that uh, actually you can build more boards pretty easily and also yeah not very expensive and but actually when... in the beginning it was really the plan to just like build like one or two boards and see where it goes and they these were like downhill boards yeah um like the first one um i'm actually just i'm looking at it right now because it hangs here in my, in my workshop um, got it, it. Was pretty, pretty, yeah def, i got most most of the boards I built in, in the early days, I still have them. Wow. Um, I only sold like one or two of them. But yeah, the first board was like similar to um, a Demon Seed. Um, it was a, a dropped board, but not, not double drop, not drop through, just uh, with the drop in it. And yeah, also like with a pretty long wheelbase, I think it has like an 82 centimeter wheelbase, which nobody would ride anymore. But it was pretty <laughs> common. Uh, when I built it. Yeah, yeah. And how did you keep something so big stiff if you're building it like, um, does the carbon actually keep it stiff? Yeah, I just put a lot of a lot of uh, carbon and glass fiber in it and uh, that worked pretty well. To be honest, the first board I built, it was not completely stiff. Um, so that's also something I learned um, because I think with when you're working with glass fibers, with carbon fibers, um, you, in theory, you could uh, calculate how much fibers you need for a board. But like, usually you just, you try an error and try again. So like the first board was a little bit too flexy. So then the next one is pretty stiff. So then you learn from your experience. Was carbon cheap then? Or were these no, expensive boards? still pretty expensive um, glass fiber would be a lot cheaper but um, you need less um, 
fibers. If you uh, use carbon fiber, that also means uh, the board is going to be lighter. And especially in the beginning, uh, with all these foam cores I built, it was really the goal to to see like how light can I build a board, and then use um, more carbon than glass because glass will be heavier. Did you stick with that shape at the beginning, or did you start changing shapes straight away? Um, I started changing changing it right away um, because, yeah. As I said, the first was a, a dropped one, and then I uh, I built some drop throughs. I built some top mounts. Um, yeah, all different kinds of shapes. How long did it take to get into different types of like products, as in like um, materials? Oh, actually, that took me quite long because I. So all, all, uh, only able to build in my parents' um, basement. And at that time, I was not living. Not, I was living like 200 kilometers away from my parents. So only like every second weekend, I was at my parents' place and was building boards. So um, that was just, I like every time I was there, I tried something new. And also like it took forever to, like, to build just one board because um, I couldn't like heat the the molds. I um, yeah, I had no experience, so I was just like trying around and uh, yeah, getting some experience that was pretty helpful later. I mean, all these forums have gone now, haven't they? Or is, has all this information just disappeared? Um, more or less, uh, the German forum is still online, but uh, not really active anymore. So that means you can still get the information. Um, yeah, I also like got a lot of information off from Silverfish and posted a lot of stuff there. And unfortunately, that's completely gone, mm. which is really, really a pity. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, like if people look for information on how to build boards, then go to the, the German forum as long as it's still online. And it's, are people still building boards? that way like like uh, um carbon and... really. um, because at that time like 2008 9 2010 um there was a huge diy scene um yeah actually starting from from this uh this German forum and so many people were building boards we actually had like annual building contests <laughs> with like 30, 40 people building boards just for one contest. I remember those on Silverfish. Yeah. That was so yeah, inspiring. Yeah. And unfortunately, something like that doesn't happen anymore. Like I see there's a, a German uh, Facebook group um, about building longboards, but also it's pretty dead. Um, it seems that like not many people are building their own boards at the moment, which is really sad because... Um, you can actually build a board super easily with just like a couple of pieces of wood, a couple of clamps, and that's it. And you can like start developing your own shapes, and, and that would be easy. But nobody's doing it anymore, it seems. Yeah, I think I think there's still people doing it, but I think it's really underground. I have a customer called John Thompson, and he makes his own boards. And they're just purely for himself and he makes them for friends. They're beautiful yep. bits of art. 
but he doesn't have a press. He sort of gets this wood and he bends it. I don't know how he does it, but he uses like books and so forth and okay. weights to, <laughs> to sort of create this mold and he bends this wood in these unusual shapes and he cuts them out and they're amazing. <laughs> I have one of these boards. It's just an amazing board for pushing and carving around. But uh, that's a, the perfect example for actually how easy it is to build a board. You don't need much. Yeah. He's, uh, I think he's experimented a lot. So when did you, when did you move out of your parents' place? Like, as in, when did the production start getting like, uh, too big that you needed? Is that what happened? Um, yeah, not really. Um, I was actually, um, in the, in the town I was living, um, I was, uh, renting uh, a small room just, uh, to build a couple of boards, um, still for myself and like after i saw that like the demand is getting bigger i i i started really like i took one and a half years um just to develop the first five boards i officially started to sell at uh, the end of 2013. so um i think i got that that room i built the boards in like 2000 and 11 yeah and then i started from there so you spent and, a year and a half developing five boards yeah wow um be, actually just because i thought i don't want to um like start selling a product that is not um completely ready and tested um because i've seen that like out of that um, DIY building scene, out of that forum, I've seen that a lot of people thought, oh, that's great. Now um, also like there's a, a big hype around longboarding. Yeah, I'm gonna start selling them. And people started selling them before they were actually ready. And I, I've seen that they made this mistake and I didn't wanna make the same mistake. So I learned from that and really took that time to, to, to develop the boards until they really until I was confident enough with them to, to sell them. Yeah, because it's it's, uh, it's easy to get a bad reputation really quick, especially on the internet. Yep, that's absolutely true. So I thought I don't want to I don't want to deal with that. So and I, the five boards you had, you were testing these yourself, or did you have writers that were testing them? Um, I didn't have writers like team riders at that moment, because um, I was still like building up the brand. I was mostly testing them myself or my friends were testing them. Um, but uh, I had a lot of people um, uh, around me that were uh, riding longboards. So it was never a problem to find somebody to, uh, who would uh, test the board. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's when there's, there's a few things in our scene, if you need to build a skate ramp, or if you need boards or equipment tested, there's always seems to be uh, as many skaters as you need. Yep, absolutely. And what were those five boards? Were did you were they just downhill boards? Um, yeah, uh, they were like only like downhill and free ride boards. Um, I still have uh, three of these models in my lineup, um, so. Of course, um, some stuff, some things changed at, 
these boards, but the, the main concept still stays. Um, yeah, actually, for, like for for example, I had a, a single kick free rider because uh, before every other company had a single kick free rider. Wow, really? But I discontinued it because it was um, the whole construction was uh, too time consuming and I, I didn't have the time to build it that way. So I discontinued it. And yes, and some other, yeah. So why was it too time consuming? Um, I had a, a construction similar, uh, yeah, similar-ish to uh, like the rain fat bottom. Um, I had like um, a middle spine in the middle and was uh, thinner on the outside. And I was uh, doing that with uh, some super light veneers uh, with a light core just to save some weight. And it was fun to build them, but it, it just took me way too long to build one board. And the problem is that if you if you want to sell it and you really have to charge the price that you actually have to charge because you put a lot of time in it, then nobody would buy it. So then I, I just, yeah, I stopped it. Also, like I realized that like every company brings out a single kick free rider, and I thought, yeah, I'm. Why should I still have it if every other has it? Um, if every other company has it, so I actually focused more on some other some unique stuff that um, not every other company had. Yeah, so it sounds like you really think about your business a lot. Like it's not just about making boards. You sort of uh, you're thinking a lot of like the market and sustainability and what's going to work, what's not. Yeah, that that's my advantage and disadvantage at the same time. I think about everything a lot, and yeah. So, so it's it's an advantage because it gives you an edge, but it's a disadvantage because because it takes a lot of time to like. Uh, think what what should you do what could you do what should you do next what step next um see i always try to be like a step ahead um with uh, new materials new constructions uh and yeah that usually that takes a lot of time to to develop these things but on the other hand that's also like the advantage i have that yeah to be like sometimes really a step ahead do you feel that pressure from skaters that you know they're almost like they want the latest and the greatest and it's sort of like we just developed something and now they're looking for something else new do you feel that pressure no not really actually like that pressure just comes completely from myself because (laughs) i i want to uh to to build new things i want to invent new things um for me like building a board once or developing a board is a lot more fun a lot more interesting than building the same board like a hundred times so i i was actually i have to keep myself from thinking too much about new things so then i can really focus on this on the the stuff i have and to build the stuff i have so when you're thinking about like a new product is it material or is it shape or is it the manufacturing process or like what intrigues you? Uh, it's always the three of them. Um, okay. I think manufacturing process always comes last. First, um, I think about like 
what 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 could you change or like especially like how can you make a board lighter how can you make a board more durable how can you uh, make it torsionally stiffer stuff like that and then um i uh, i also check what new materials are um are, are on the market like uh, right now i'm doing a lot of experience with uh with natural fibers with uh with flax fibers for example and then after i have an idea or i think about how i want to do it then i i think about how the the whole manufacturing process um would work and then in the end i see if it's actually possible to do that is it and uh, yeah is it possible to build a like a long board that's too good like it's just like this is the last board or a skater is going to use it for too long never Never? Um, if i if i had to answer that question with a yes i could uh, i quit my job because my goal is to always like find something new and uh, always develop something new if i would realize that we're at the end there's no more um no more uh, development possible then i think the whole fun would get lost yeah i can see that i suppose that's uh, a lot about longboarding as well that there's always yeah. something new how do you find new pro- new materials is this just through suppliers yeah actually there um i'm in close contact with uh two three um suppliers that also like inform me when uh, they got something new and yeah there actually there's no um how you say we will not have a completely new fiber that will be better than everything else in the year um, there, we're still working with the same fibers. We're still working uh, with, with glass fiber, with carbon fiber, but now also with natural fibers. But also, like the the fibers itself, they change. Like how they uh, the layout of the fibers can change. Um, and yeah, it's it's usually not like a huge um, step, mm. but a lot of small steps also um, make a, a lot uh, can change a board completely. So I've been at a, interviewed a few people this year that have made wheels or have wheel manufacturing yeah. um, companies and Mitch Thompson and Tiago both said that they could notice the quality of their wheels in some production or that maybe something wasn't quite right with the production. Do you notice something like that with your materials that go into your boards that oh, maybe this fiberglass isn't the same quality as I got last time, or does that ever happen? Mm-hmm. Um, not much. Um, I I definitely can feel a difference if I change something in a lineup, but I'm, I'm lucky to have um, really good suppliers who give me always the same quality. Um, I can just like order glass fiber, I can just order carbon fiber, and I know that um, it's always going to be the same quality, which is... Uh, yeah, which is pretty good because if I had to worry about um, about the quality of the stuff I buy, then I also had to worry about um, my quality, and so yeah, I'm pretty happy that this always stays the same. It's also like the good thing 
uh, that I build all the boards by myself is that this is a pretty good quality control because I know exactly what's in it. I know what fibers are in there. I know what wood is in there. I know what um, epoxy is in there. And yeah, sometimes I've seen that people had some bad experience if they let others produce their boards and then others the others like maybe changed something in the layup and didn't tell them could be really really bad for a company so you build all the boards yourself yeah um rocket is still a one-man company wow. and i do everything in-house um there's only one thing i cannot do myself and that's uh, the sublimation of the top sheets because I just don't have the, the the sublimation presses, but and so that's why I buy the top sheets already sublimated. But the rest, um, I do everything by myself. I even pour the urethane um, on the cores of uh, for, uh, the inflator pole model, for example. I pour it myself. Wow. Is that something that you purposely have kept like to yourself? that you just enjoy it that much, that's what you want to do? Or is that just part of the business model that, you know, it only works if there's just me and I don't have to pay someone else? Um, yeah, of course, like paying somebody else um, is always a thing. Then you always have to, like, you have some, some fixed costs that you have to pay. No, but um, for me, it was always important that all that the production is done here by myself in-house. Um, sometimes I have people come over and help me, but still everything is made in-house here um, because that's how I can control the quality and make sure that the quality always stays the same. And that's one of the important, most important things for me. Hmm. And, but the, the downside is, is if, there's a hiccup or something you fall behind and the production gets like like held up yeah does that happen exactly. often or does that just happen um, all the time i i just had it uh i had it this year i had it in the last uh like two months maybe you've seen uh, my latest facebook post yeah, where i was i saw that for the delay yeah um that's some. That's um, a crucial problem for sure. If I, for example, if I'm sick, nobody builds boards, uh, and yeah, like uh, uh, I, I was sick a couple of times in the last two months because my my our, our son um, started going to daycare uh, to daycare center and brought home some new bacteria and viruses every week. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, have children. It, I know what that's like. Okay, yeah, so then you know what I'm talking about. I think most of the people who have children know what I'm talking about, or as, as far as I heard. Yeah, so, yeah, um, I had a couple of sick days lately, and, yeah, every sick day, and nobody builds sports, and then I, uh, that's how I, I, I've fallen behind my schedule. But, yeah, that's something I have to deal with. Do you build much stock or is it pretty much just built to water the, the, the products? Um, actually the goal would be to have all the boards in stock. Um, but this, especially like this season or this summer, this year, it was not possible to have boards in stock because, um, I really, the brand took off, um, this season and uh, had a lot of orders. And so I was just building 
building and shipping and building and shipping and I had no boards on the shelf. Was that something that you saw coming or you could feel it like this of this year's just feels different? Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't see coming that, uh, that strong. Um, because, um, since I, I started selling boards in 2013, um, my sales were always going up, mm. um, not huge, um, increases, um, but always up. And like from last year to this year, that was actually a huge increase. And, uh, I didn't see coming that it would change that much. Now I was a little bit, um, caught off guard, I'd say. What, why do you think it, you just got more social media or do you think like maybe the free ride scene in Europe, like, uh, you know, um, I, I know you did some like sponsorship and marketing through that. Do you think it's something that you did or do you think it's just like, uh, just sales on top of sales? No, I, th I think it's, it's definitely something I did because the market is going down here in Europe, especially, mm. um, but I'm trying always to be present. I'm trying to be present on social media. I'm trying to be present at the events. I'm trying to sponsor as many events as I can. And if it's possible, I'm trying to be there with a, a test booth, with test boards and talking to people. And I think that's something that people see right now that I'm, I'm really caring for, uh, for the scene. Mm. And I think that's a, it's a big part of, uh, why we was going up. I think rocket has a really good reputation. I Thanks. think that slow build that you've done is like a really solid base and probably that's what it's, you know, you're, uh, you're building off. So what are the plans to, you've obviously sat down thought, how can I make more boards? Mm -hmm. Is there uh, plans to increase like production or buy new machines or anything, or are you just going to keep working the way you're working? No, if I, if I keep working the way I'm working right now, then, then it would definitely be tough. Um, because yeah, I have a kid now. Um, I cannot like work 12 hours a day anymore. Like mm. I did. Um, and, uh, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe, um, hiring somebody part-time for next year, but, uh, that's sounds easier than it is. Um, because I just, I don't just want to have like somebody working with me. I want to have somebody who really, who also skates, who also like does it uh, from the heart and not mm. just like as, as a job. And uh, that's not so easy to find somebody, but, but yeah, let's see. Um, I'm pretty optimistic that we, that I'll find a way to make it, to keep it working. So when you d decided that, okay, this business is going to, I'm going to step, I'm going to jump back now, but when you started to get more professional, you thought I could make a business out of this. Did you sit down and work out? how many boards I'd need to build a day or how many boards I'd need to sell? Yeah, definitely. Like 
people who know me know that I'm not somebody who just does something uh, because he feels like it and don't doesn't think about it. As I told you, I think about so many things. And before I really made the step to like do Rocket 100%, um, like full time, before I, I made that step, I really thought a lot about like the market, about numbers, about money. And uh, one problem was that actually when I was making the step, there was still um, a big longboard hype here in Europe. And yeah, the more I grew, the more the whole hype or more sales or total sales in longboarding went down. Hmm. And so I had to actually to grow against the market. And so all the numbers I was actually thinking about in the beginning were suddenly becoming pretty wrong because there were not many sales uh, in longboarding and like in, in Europe and Switzerland anymore. So that also forced my, uh, forced me to like, think more globally than just locally. Um, so that's why I'm trying to sell my boards all over the world. And that helped me a lot to like still find markets that, um, that sell longboards. For, 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 for one example, um, I'm, I'm selling boards in, uh, in Australia right now. <laughs> um, I never thought that would happen, uh, but it's pretty cool. And so how do you go about being a global company? It's just, it's, it must be more than just, you know, shipping to every country in the world. Did you do anything specific? Um, now I think that's just a part of my networking. Um, I, I do a lot of networking, try to be, try to know as many people um, as possible or not as possible, but try to like, get to know a lot of people in, in, in the scene, in the business. Um, like also I'm being present at trade shows like ISPO, like Shred Expo, okay. and be there and talk to people. And I think the whole, um, like social media helped me a lot um, to get a get a name uh, worldwide um, because yeah nowadays uh, new Facebook posts reach everybody in the world um, that's something that a couple of years ago wouldn't have been possible that definitely helps me a lot and yeah with that I have to definitely have to say that in the end my team writers helped me a lot because they're the ones who actually um, give me the content for my social media, for Instagram, for Facebook. And by having awesome team writers also generates awesome content. And that's uh, how people in the whole world get to, to know the writers and the boards. Do those team writers travel a lot? Do they sort of go out into the world as well? Um, they travel a lot in Europe, mm -hmm. um, but mostly like uh, the European team writers, they mostly don't like go out of Europe. Um, they have, have two Brazilian team riders. Um, like one of them, Ian Freire, he's, uh, he's traveling a lot. He's usually in, uh, doing Euro tour. And, but yeah, they, they don't like travel to the States or to, uh, to Australia to, uh, to do races because like most of them, like they're pretty good free riders mm. and most of them, they don't, race professionally yeah yeah the sport's just too small at the moment or the 
the sort of the racing scene. Do you find because yeah. I mean your boards cross a lot of different disciplines. Do you find uh, I found that with the Hopkins Skate Shop that it was easier to sponsor sort of free riders and particular downhill races because they were doing stuff and that there was like they'd go to a race and it was something that you could like talk about and um but some of the other skaters you know the free riders or you know the freestylers or whatever there wasn't it wasn't as exciting to sort of promote does does that make sense do you find that or uh i i get your point but i personally i think different um for me racing is not uh, also like if i think about my team riders for me as a sponsor um it's not important that they race um because like racing only like only reaches a couple of people only a certain amount and i think the the big market like the most of the people who do like free ride freestyle dance long distance they don't care so much about racing anymore i think they they don't see oh like oh that the rocket team rider got eighth in a race i don't think that this is important i think more important for me like is that my team riders at their they're good guys they're going out there they're going to like to the free ride events they talk to people they uh they shoot videos they 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 give me photos um or like the long distance people they go to the long distance events or for me stuff like that is more important that uh, a fifth place in a in an IDF qualifier. Hmm. Uh, how do you choose your team riders, or do they choose you? Um, mostly, I choose them. Um, very, very careful, <laughs> uh, because yeah, as I told you, um, the it's super important that are they're not only good riders but also good guys, um, because having the best rider on a team but if he is just an introvert not talking to people then he doesn't really you don't really benefit a lot of having him on a team it's good to have like it's good good people who who, who travel to events uh who go to the free rides and uh, i choose them usually i choose them um i have to know him personally uh, also, like some sometimes I get or I get a lot of emails or uh, or uh, messages asked from people asking, "Hey, you want to sponsor me?" If somebody is really interesting, uh, say maybe. But first, we have to get to know each other. We have to talk. We have to. I have to see um, what kind of guy he is. I ask other people who know him, and. Yeah, I I had like bad experience um, of taking just people into the team because they were good riders and then realizing that they actually, they're not helping the brand, more the opposite. Does your team actually travel as a team ever or are they all sort of uh, separate riders? Um, sometimes they do. Um, mostly if they know each other, uh, most of them know each other and I... I try to really to do some team building things, like to get them together. So mm. they all they're all friends, and sometimes they do travel with uh, with each other, but not 
not on a regular basis. Of course, you've, you've sponsored a few different events in Europe. Mm -hmm. That is part of it as well, having your team at those events and sponsoring the event and also having a team, riders competing and putting stuff up on social media. Yeah. Um, of course, if every time I sponsor an event, I try to um, get as many team riders there as possible. Um, so because it's sometimes it's hard to see that I, you have a main sponsor, but that main sponsor doesn't have a single team rider or not even a person um, at, at the event. Uh, I think that's that's a pity because if you sponsor, you have to be present, you have to be there, you have to bring your your riders, um, you have to show um, that you that you really care for the event. And how do you pick events to sponsor? Sometimes it's just like a personal thing, and also then depending on if uh, the the organizers ask for a sponsorship. There are some events that I, I really I ask the organizers, hey guys, I wanna I wanna become a sponsor because I really I love this event and I love what you're doing and I'm gonna support this. But sometimes it's just like um, I get an email from uh, from from an organizer asking me on a sponsor and then if I think that's a good it's a good event then uh, then I help them out. And are you gonna are you planning to do? more event sponsorship next year or just st sticking with the same events um honestly i don't know yet um i'm definitely going to stick with a couple of events i already sponsored um i will be um rocket will be head sponsor of the altenrauschen um again mm. like uh, last year or like this year and i'm definitely going to go to the k and k again and yeah all the other um events uh, we'll see um, mostly, um, the whole uh, organize, uh, organization is not ready yet. So, um, but I, I don't really, I don't say like I will um, sponsor ten events. Period. Okay. I always see what happens. And what is it up to you, the sponsor, to get the value out of sponsoring our event, or is it also? partly the promoter or the person putting on the event that um, helps get you value? Uh, I think it's always both. Um, usually it's like the, the event organizer um, tells you, we're going to give you this, 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 and this. And then at the event, you usually have to make sure that you're really getting what, uh, what they promised you. <laughs> so it's always like, it's 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 always both sides. Has any of these event organizers done something like uh, better than any of other races? I'm being selfish here because obviously I organize an event, so I'm just uh, interested if uh, anyone's you know providing any sort of value that you find that you don't get anywhere else. Um, that's really hard to tell um, because usually it's like a mix. Um, on some events, um, you get like more pictures. On other events, you get more videos. And mm. it's just um, it's 
I cannot really say that some events are better than others or some events bring a sponsor more than others. Um, I also like don't want to um, I don't want to charge them uh, because I th I think they're all doing a good job yeah. and they all should keep doing what they're doing. Mm. And getting back to the team writers, I noticed you did it was either a Facebook post or an Instagram post, and you're saying, "Oh, we're looking for a like a freestyler or a dance <laughs> yeah. team writer." How'd you go with that? Yeah, actually, that was just uh, just a um, pretty pretty stupid idea. Um, I got um, a video <laughs> from, from my my team rider Till Hayden riding down the K and K track on a dancer. And <laughs> Sorry. Then when, I, when I got the video, I thought, "Oh, come on, let's let's use that and uh, do a dancer's wanted um, thing." And but that didn't get a lot of feedback. I got a couple of people. Um, who, uh, who who sent me some things, but um, unfortunately, I didn't really um, find somebody who I thought, yeah, that's going to be a new team writer. Did you think you would? What do you mean? Oh, did you think that you would find someone that way? Or do you think, oh, you know, it's probably not the, <laughs> the responses that you're going to get are probably aren't going to be fitting um, in with my team? Because you were just saying about how your, you really look at your team riders or people yeah. that are coming into the team that um... to, to be honest I I would I didn't really think that um, yeah the perfect guy would turn up or the perfect girl would turn up um, it it was just like yeah as I said a stupid idea um, I thought yeah let's let's try and see what happens but I yeah, I wasn't like surprised or disappointed that I didn't find anybody. Hmm. Are you still looking? Of course. Um, yeah, because um, yeah, I have some, I have some dancing boards. Um, fortunately, um, I had a lot of help from like my Asian distri distributors, um, like re redeveloping them. So I didn't really, I didn't really need um, team rides for that. Mm. But it was, it would be great to have somebody who, who's wrapping the boards. And it's just like in the whole in the dancing scene, it's pretty hard um, to find like good riders because there are not so many, and usually they're already sponsored. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, if if like on this way, um, somebody listens to this podcast and thinks, oh, I'm going to become a Rocket Longboard dancing team rider or a freestyle team rider, just send me a message. And what would they, what would get your attention? Like, would it be that, uh, like, if you think in your mind's eye with, like, I, I suppose with other team riders that you've sort of put on the team and thought, yeah, they're the right fit, what would be the right fit for, like what would someone have to do? Would it be a video or would it be like um, that their social media or would it be their their style or the events they go to? Yeah, I think just to get my attention um, would be like send me a good video where you can I can see that you're really you're skilled. Hmm. Then, um, of course, if um, also like a good social media um, channel, adds to that 
that would be pretty nice um, because I also I already got some uh, some some messages hey you want to sponsor me um, through Instagram and then you check that Instagram channel and you th you find three pictures and none of them are longboard related and then like uh, without even seeing if you are longboarding or how how your skills are it's pretty hard to judge so to to like to sponsor you so yeah so do you think it's the quality of the video or is it the size like say the amount of followers they have no, definitely the quality of the video yeah because i think that's the disconnect between like a lot of skaters and brands sometimes that they feel that they don't have a, enough followers so therefore they they stop posting or they get disinterested yeah. in putting stuff up because you know oh i don't have fifty thousand followers but in fact you don't really need a lot of followers it's a, the quality of the skating absolutely like in the end it's the question is can you skate or can you not skate if you can skate i think also the rest will follow hmm. so i, I think if you, yeah yeah I, I i had a couple i had uh one particular really good young skater on our team and he was a great skater but he he, he never really uh he couldn't convert that he he sort of like was very shy when it came to events and that sort of thing so mm -hmm. i think that held him back somehow so there is a bit of personality there isn't there yeah but also that can have a advantages and disadvantages I think if you're always standing in the middle and you're always the loudest guy on a skate event, then that might also hinder some uh, some some sponsors to take you on a team. Mm. Because I don't want to have the loudest. I just want to have a good person, a decent guy. I know you you mentioned that the, your um, your dance boards are going into the Asian market, but. Is the dance scene still big in Europe? I mean, so you think you can dance sort of came out of Europe, didn't you, that event? Yeah, I think it's not it's not really big anymore. For example, in Switzerland, there is n almost no dance scene. Mm. Um, it doesn't really exist in Switzerland either. Like in, in, in Germany, um, in especially in the Netherlands, there's, yeah, there's still a lot going on. But also there you can tell that like, like the whole market went down. Also, I think also the dancing scene got smaller. I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of these events sort of survive on. Sorry, a lot of these um, types of skating survive on the communities, don't they? And yeah, well, you know, we've talked about this a few times in the podcast that events tend to be community events they're about it's not just about the event whether it's a race or a gathering or a jam or whatever it is it's yeah. the gathering of the community and if you don't have those gatherings the community just sort of goes and does other stuff yeah that's absolutely true um i think skating was always a community thing um you don't see a lot of people like skating by themselves. Skating makes more fun if you can skate with your friends. Um, and if you go to events, 
then you can yeah you can find new friends and um, expand your your range and I think that's something you can really see that in the, for example in the US the market went down and also I think the, the skate community went went down because there were not so many events anymore in Europe we're still pretty fortunate that we still have a lot of events we uh, we're fortunate that we have a, a huge French scene who organizes a couple of events also like bigger ones smaller ones we have big mountain skate um, who organizes events we have uh, Michael and Nadia for, who organized the K&K which is great and I think that keeping those events alive also helps keeping the community alive because that's where people meet and that's where yeah a lot of progression comes from hmm. are there other any other type of riders that you're looking for so like you do uh dance you see you've got your downhill and your free ride do you do slalom no uh not not at all um yeah, I know that people always say slalom's not dead, but here, uh, like in, in Switzerland and in, in Europe, it's, slalom also almost doesn't exist anymore. So it's hmm. really, really hard. Um, like, I, I, I would never say, um, yeah, I need more team riders or I don't need any more team riders because there could always be like that one guy who, who fits, fits perfectly. So that's something I don't really plan. I, I don't say like, yeah, next season I'm going to find two new team riders. I just take it as it comes. Do you think like growing a team rider is better than just going out and finding one? Like, you know, getting someone when they're young and helping them progress and they sort of then grow into your brand? And Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Um, I think there's no... There's no rule here. Um, I got some, some riders who uh, who got to the team when they were like 26 or others who got to the team when they were 16. Um, that could always come up both ways. Um, it's really, I cannot give you a real answer to that question. Mm. And I noticed on your Instagram, you did a poll on your um you know, vote for the graphics for next yep. year. And people people voted more on the, the carbon style graphic. Do you think that, was that a vote you might do more of that community feedback sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, did that work for you? Did it surprise you that people voted for the, the carbon more than the graphic? Um, honestly, I wasn't that surprised because I already thought that it could come out this way. Um, I will definitely do it again if it fits. Um, I think it, there are um, certain things that you should decide for yourself and not ask um, the customers. And there are other things like, yeah, for example, the graphics. I've seen uh, this year uh, I got a... A lot of a lot of questions like a lot of people who were asking me if i could build them a custom with that carbon style graphic and after after you getting like 20 messages from 20 people asking for that you think <laughs> that, okay maybe there 
maybe uh, that's a thing. So I thought, why not? Like, yeah, be straight and ask people, what do you actually want? And uh, yeah. Do you think maybe it was a vote against the actual graphic instead of having a graphic? Partly, yes. Um, I, I, I think that the, the new graphics, the, the Freak Show collection, uh, didn't get as many likes as I, as I thought. Um, so I think it was like a part was like voting against the, the graphics I had this year, the Freak Show. But another, I think the big part was just like asking for, for the carbon because I was I was talking to a lot of people about that and yeah the I mean carbon's classic said, isn't it I mean it always has been yeah. it's just said that it might be that like the boards are pretty um, like high end and like yeah race race boards and and many of them thought that the carbon optic the carbon style fits more uh, to the actual the purpose uh, yeah. of the board. yeah so, okay I think that might be might be a big reason. Mm. And how do you do your graphics? Like, how who did you get an artist to do the um, yeah. the circus graphics? Yeah, um, actually, um, since already for a couple of years, I'm working with the same uh, graphic designer. Um, he's called uh, calls himself Killer Artworks. Um, he's from Germany. Okay. And he usually um, does like um, logos for uh, band t-shirts or um, album cover artwork. Mm. And uh, yeah, like maybe three, four year, years ago, I was asking him, uh, just sending, me, uh, sending him an email asking like, hey, I love your stuff. I love what you're doing. Would you be interested in uh, doing some longboard, longboard graphics? He said, sure, yeah, let's try that. And so, yeah, I was working with him ever since and uh yeah to be honest this morning i got an email from him with all the new graphics for the 2019 lineup so uh, people can be really curious (laughs) i look amazing oh i just can't go there because i know you won't tell me about it but uh not yet what when you design new graphics do you give him an idea or does he just come back do you say oh look i feel you know whales um, are in this year can we do it whales or <laughs> sharks uh, or something year, it will only be you in no um I, I usually give my ideas uh like for the freak show i i definitely i told him what i would like to get i told him what characters and also for for the next graphics for next uh, for for 2019 i I told them what, yeah, more or less what I'm, what I imagine, and then, but these are just rough um, ideas, and then he does some sketches uh, and uh, like sends me the sketches and so back and forth till we have uh, the final result. So does that mean that there will be two options next year? You could have like carbon, or you could have the graphic. Um, or are I'm you just going to have some of the race boards are going to be graphic? No, Sorry, not graphic, year, um, uh, carbon. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next year, every board will come with the, 
with the carbon option. And I think as far as I still have some um, of, the, uh, of, of this year's graphics, I might just give them as an option. But like the, the official lineup will be, uh, will be the, the, gra the carbon look. Okay. Does it cost more it's, to do the carbon? It's more or less the same. Um, it doesn't doesn't change much um, because it's just like it's a, it's a different top sheet I'm using, mm. um, so it doesn't really affect the cost much. And it cuts. I can the... still off. I can still offer the the boards at the same price. And does it cut the same way on the CNC? Yeah, that doesn't change at all. Um, it's uh, it it's will. If you if you think about uh, like, I don't know if you have the Ian Freire Pro model in mind uh, with the with the lightest fog construction mm. that actually that already had that look. Yeah. And there you can see that uh, the wheel wells and the and the flush cuts they have already been pressed in during the pressing. Yep. And all the other boards um, uh, I do completely different because it's, it's different materials and. With all the other boards, I cut the wheel wells and uh, flush cuts and stuff like after pressing. Yeah. So that's why you will have uh, the wheel wells and stuff in uh, like the natural wooden look and not covered with uh, with carbon. Ah, right. Okay, yeah, I see. And when when do you release your new range? Yeah, that's always a tricky point. Um, usually, I. I'm definitely going to present it um, at the ISPO in Munich and the Shred Expo, uh, which is almost at the same time in Leipzig. That's going to be at the end of January, beginning of February. Um, I will definitely release or present the new lineup then, uh, but it will probably come out in, I would say, usually it's March, April, because I still... Uh, need time to uh, finish everything to to build the boards to uh to like, build up the stock mm. um, because it's, it's really hard to release boards and that are actually not really finished so usually i wait till i have some stock they're trade shows so they're pretty much just well they're the trade do you allow people to leak stuff onto the internet or do you try and hold stuff back and then just release it all on one day, have a launch day or? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not possible to present boards at the ISPO and, uh, and <laughs> keep people from taking pictures and posting them um, because that's something that always happens. So yeah, I'm absolutely aware that at the moment I hang them off the wall at the ISPO or Shred Expo. A couple of minutes later, the first pictures will be on the internet. <laughs> Everyone's talking about them. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's part of the game. Um, it would be hard to show them, but let people not take pictures of them. Will you have like a, a launch date on the, the new range? Or is that not something that you do? Uh, probably yes, but I'm not sure yet. And are there going to be any new boards in the new range oh yeah um i'll i'll have a like a completely uh, a new pro model um oh, of a oh, really? rider that you don't know about him yet <laughs> uh, 
um, I'll ha I'll have a new rider, and he will then already get his pro model. Wait, wait, wait. So you're getting a new team rider, and he's getting a pro yeah. model. Yeah. So, is this been a a a long process? I mean, you said that you like to get to know someone or whether they're the right fit for the team. So have you been talking I, to this person for a while? I already know this person uh, personally. Okay. And uh, we we have been working a lot together to uh, uh, working on that board too. Actually, it's it's already finished now. I just, I, I would like to show you and to tell you about, uh, about it, but unfortunately I can't yet. <laughs> when will you announce that? Also at Yespo. Okay. Is this person a racer? Yes. So they would already be on one of your boards testing the new pro model? You, we don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you anything. <laughs> so there's probably... Uh, the, the one thing I was always amazed about with uh, people that are into racing and free riding is how quickly they figure out someone's on something different. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, Delua's on like ABEC 11s and not on something else. You know what I mean? I suppose yeah. that one's a little bit different because it's like bright green wheels, but um, it's uh, it's amazing how quickly. Um, and it's usually young skaters mm -hmm. that just, you know, uh, pour through photos. Yeah. Yeah. One photo on the internet, and they see everything. They see, stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't notice at all. Yeah, I I speak to a lot of them. I love speaking to them on the phone because a lot of them know more about they know more about it than you than like I do. You know what I mean? It's like you know I have a business in this, but you know these guys know more about the riders, the boards, and it's it's incredible the uh, the amount yeah. of information it's, they suck up. But it's it's so cool to see that how much these people are into that sport that they don't just ride it, they live it. They uh, yeah, they, no, I love it. It's yeah, every day to find something new, and I I, I love that because I was the same. Oh really? I I still am the same. Um, <laughs> I uh, I check out all the facebook and uh and uh, instagram posts of all the skaters and all the brands every day so i i usually know what's going on <laughs> so i'm i'm not gonna drop the um the th me thinking about the new pro model so is the new pro model gonna be like the ian model where it's like that real um custom style mm -hmm. or is it going to be more like a wood board um it's gonna be another different construction another different uh, construction yeah it's also a completely new new construction wow how long does it take you to build these things like um, like how long or have you already told me that a year and a half no yeah a year and a half was just to build like the first uh five boards of the first lineup now usually it just it depends um like the, the light as fuck construction took me like yeah a good year to develop that new construction um i can tell you you already um see it in uh, in our dancing boards 
it will be um, uh, bamboo hollow core flax fiber carbon construction oh, wow. with, um, with with some uh, some 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 uh, nose and tail inserts. Um, it's a it's also a pretty interesting new way um, of building boards because especially the 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 flax fibers the natural fibers they absorb a lot of vibration ah. and that makes uh, the ride pretty smooth and less vibration i think um so uh, wait Jacques wait when talking about that um when he was talking about his wheels uh, less vibration yeah. just gives you more grip. yeah so this flax is this in is this replacing something in the fiberglass or is this another a, another layer like loaded puts down the basalt layer it's not another layer it actually repra- replaces um uh, other layers like okay. i use for example i use the flax fiber instead of some carbon layers mm. there, there's still carbon in it but yeah some layers just get replaced is this new construction going to have a name like the like the lighters fuck construction? Yet. I'm I'm still thinking about it, and I still have some some names in my head, but nothing nothing official yet. Do you come up with all the names? Yes. How do you come it's up a... with a name? You just is it you just <laughs> while you're know. making it, you're thinking up different things. Yeah. See, um, if you're um, if I have like pressing day. And I'm laminating boards the whole day. I have a lot of time to think. <laughs> because, to be honest, laminating boards is not the most um, hard task you can have. Yeah. So you have a lot of time to think and uh, think about a thousand things. And one of them is like names of new boards. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is that part of, it's part of the character of the board, isn't it? I think it always depends a bit. Um, like with the names, like, um, in the beginning, there were always um, names of actually existing rockets. Ah, um, but, right. I see. But then, like the Meteor, the Hades, yeah. um, these all, all names of rockets. But then at some point, I realized, um, yeah, I'm going to run out of rockets. I run out of rockets, yeah. Because <laughs> I always... I never wanted to have like um, miss, missile names uh, that are like used for war because I want always wanted to have like peaceful rockets, um, like science stuff. Okay. And there are not so many of them. And actually, a lot of the names have already been taken, uh, like names that other companies use for their boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to use names that like, other boards already, other companies already have. Like for example, that single kick free rider I once had, I told you about, that was called the Arrow, and then just shortly after Sector Nine um, had the Sector Nine Arrow, mm. and I was actually once thinking about bringing that Arrow back, but then I already knew that I would have to change the name because if I call it Arrow again, everybody would say, "But uh, you you stole the name from Sector Nine. Yeah, and actually, uh, I was before that, and. Yeah, so I was I was running out of rocket names, and then it was just um, random ideas. I, I I don't really have a like a plan how to find new names because sometimes the name 
really does make the board. Like, Hades is such a great name. Like, Mini Hades. That's, yeah. <laughs> it almost makes you want to buy the board. Just the name. It's just such okay. a great name. That, that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah, see, um, that, that name uh, exists since 2012. Mm. Because the, the concept of the board, I developed the concept in 2012. And uh, I'm actually pretty surprised that no other company like had similar board yet with that, that uh, asymmetrical rocker. Because um, I think that board works so well. And uh, I was always thinking about, yeah, maybe next year somebody, some other company will have like a similar concept. But no, I'm still waiting for it. You've got this one pro model coming out. Do you have any other new boards coming out? Yeah, I will have uh, two new boards. Or like one, is, one existing model is going to change a lot. And Which one's then, that? Uh, I don't want to tell you yet. Oh, come on. I don't, I don't want to give you too many details <laughs> yet. Because, hey, I'm, I'm still working on all that stuff. Um, so you Are have you, to. Okay. Yeah. Can you tell me what boards you're dropping? What you don't want uh, to say? Are you going to drop any boards? Or are you just going to make new ones? Yeah, kind of. Um, I might be dropping the two uh, drop-through boards. Mm -hmm. um, because they... They don't sell uh, very well because people are not interested in drop through or normal drop through boards anymore. But they're I yeah, the drop through like, boards have tended to go into that cheap end of the market, haven't they? They sort of like the drop through boards tend to be completes now. Yeah. Other than That's... like loaded, which is that they're sort of like their own thing over there. So yeah, they're like a rule unto themselves. But I don't know. Yeah, I think um, like back when I was starting to ride downhill, um, a lot of people were riding drop-through boards downhill um, mm. because, yeah, the typical um, thinking is that, yeah, you're lower to the ground, you're more stable, yeah. um, but you also have less uh, less traction in the, in the corners. So um, I think then the whole drop-through thing switched completely to beginners um, yes. because uh, it was easy to start riding on them. Mm. Uh, I still like the two drop through models I have are actually free ride boards. But yeah, not many people ride drop through for free riding anymore. So I might be dropping them. But on the other side, I see that there are still like one or two shops that order them super regularly. And so I might still like tell them, yeah, if you want to, if you want some of them, just tell me and I'll, I'll, I'll build you some, but I'm, you probably won't find them in the catalog anymore. I suppose that's the the good thing about, I mean, having a, a workshop like you do that you're you're not you don't have to commit to like you know fifty decks or a hundred decks. You can, yeah. if someone wants something, you can make it if you've got the time. Yeah, that's actually it's, I think one of uh, the biggest. Uh, biggest advantages you have as a super um, small company or like a one-man company is that yeah if somebody writes me an email hey can i have like three of the, the drop-through boards you discontinued like three years ago i can tell them yeah i still have to mold um as soon as i have the time i make you some 
and I can really I can adapt really fast. And you still have you'd still have it all on your CNC machine. Yeah, I would never uh, throw away a mold. I would never delete um, a G code from the CNC. Like everything I ever made, I can remake pretty easily. And those drop-through boards, you do, you don't sell them as like long-distance skateboards. Some people use them as long-distance boards, mm. but the, actually. They're not made for that. Um, to to really make them to, into a long distance board, they should be lighter. They should be more narrow. Um, some things um, you should change. I know that a couple of people use them to ride, like to, to commute or ride long distance, but that's not the, the real purpose of the board. Anything else you're getting rid of? No. Probably not. Probably not. But it's something that. If it doesn't sell, then you don't make it. So it's not really a problem, is it? You don't have the problem like Land Yachts has where, you know, no one's buying the Switch 40. Yeah. You know, are we really going to make it next year? Because we have to commit to like, you know, 100 decks or whatever. Exactly, yeah. Um, see, I just, I build boards usually. Uh, tried, uh, as I told you, I tried to have them on stock. But, yeah, like last year, I was just building them on, on order. So I don't really have a problem that I have like 50 decks lying around and nobody's buying them because mm. if I don't sell them, I don't build them pretty easy. Are your boards too cheap? I Excuse know me? Are your boards too cheap? Too cheap? Like, yeah, too cheap. Like if you're um, selling a lot of them and they're sort of, it's almost like a a custom board that you're making for people. You're like, you're like uh Instead of trying to make more, should you put the price up? I don't think so. Um, I think the only board, or the, the two boards that are actually too cheap are the Eden Freire Pro model and the Exodus, the, the long distance platform. These are the two uh, LAF um, construction boards, and they're actually too cheap. They're, they're more expensive than the others, but in theory, I should actually sell them for more because it's a lot of work that goes into them and i think the other boards they're not too cheap i think the the price is is right the way it is um there are already a lot of people um saying that they're too expensive but um i couldn't make them cheaper if i would hmm. well I, they i don't think they are too cheap because the demand's there so and it's growing yeah yeah um one thing is that especially i hear that a lot a lot of times from the states um because in the states a longboard costs like 130 150 dollars and one of mine costs like 250. Mm. so for them it's actually it's they they think it's pretty expensive mm. but that's um i think also, I see that here um, in Switzerland and in Europe, that the whole longboard hype actually destroyed people's uh, idea of how much a longboard should cost. Yeah. Because I, since I was skating, um, I, I knew that like a longboard, a board like this, should or costs like two hundred or two hundred between two hundred and two hundred fifty francs. That's same in dollars. Yeah. 
And then with the whole, with the whole hype, um, a lot of companies just brought in cheap China decks for like a 150 complete. Hmm. And then the people who started then, they actually thought that this is the price of a longboard. And it's actually not because that was too cheap. Hmm. So that actually, that, that just ruined the whole, um, the whole idea of how much a, a longboard should cost. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I've had this conversation quite a few times with people and a lot of people struggle with it, like board shops where they know the true cost and what they should be selling it for. And there is a lot of pressure to make something cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, something has to, you have to sacrifice something, even in yeah. China. You know, I've seen boards coming out of China and people have pressured manufacturers to, you know, a cheaper price point. Mm -hmm. They just can't make something cheaper. They have to remove something. They have to make it, you know, something's getting sacrificed for that cheaper price. See, um, I always knew that, like, if I build the boards by myself here in Switzerland, I always knew that I cannot sell them cheaper than than what I sell them right now. So I thought, okay, it's actually, it's, it's a higher price, but then I should also give the customer something for his money. So I try to, I have the best quality possible, have boards that are similar than all, than other boards that are on the market. I just, I cannot like build the same stuff as everybody else, but just sell it more expensive. I have to like to, uh, uh, hard to tell in English, like to really um, make sure that the price is right. I have to give something to the customer quality wise. Mm. You can make a quality product. Um, I mean, this isn't about your quality, but if you can make like this good quality product in Switzerland and have a global successfully business, I mean, that sort of gives hope to almost any country, doesn't it? Yeah. Like that they could have a board shop and... You know, if someone puts in the time, you know, See, it's in the end, it's all about, it's all about quality. If you want to, if you don't want to sell like a, a million cheap China boards, then you have to um, focus on quality. And I see a lot of companies doing that. I see a lot of like smaller companies, smaller wood shops, <clears throat> actually having the better quality than the big ones now, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, like for example, uh, Brand in the USA, um, I think you uh, you talked with uh, uh, how was it called Avrin? Mm. Uh, he I think he uh, lets Drang makes his boards. Uh, then yeah. Beggar Supply they're made by Drang, and they're making a great quality out of a small wood shop. Mm. And I think that's that should be the future, ha- having like smaller quality wood shops instead of like huge factories that do it without a soul without a heart yeah i agree and it's sort of something i've been thinking a lot of and it's probably due to the conversations that i've been having with uh, various people i've been talking to drang a lot actually the last couple of weeks so um and i think sometimes some of those board shops or those workshops they can feel a little bit lost because they're hearing that pressure of, uh, you know, especially places like America where the dream is to build a huge, big 
company. You know what I mean? You should, everyone yeah. wants to scale up. But I think there's something to be said about, you know, building something that's of, you know, good quality. Yeah. And, yeah, go In on. my opinion, it's just like the whole concept of like growing and growing and growing as fast as you can. In my opinion, it's completely wrong because <clears throat> um, the more you grow, the more you have to sell and like and the market is just is not big at the moment mm. so like for me for myself i can sell enough boards to sustain myself but i could not like grow as much that i could hire like five five people mm. um so like for me staying small um is actually the key to success because then i don't need to sell too many boards because that would also would not be possible. There's not a big market at the moment, ne anywhere. And do you think that market's coming back, or do you think the these sure. longboarding it's just going to niche down a bit? That they're just going to be like small little silos everywhere. No, of course it's coming back. Skateboarding has always been that wave going up and down, hmm. and I see like the good thing right now is that this wave doesn't isn't the same on the whole world right now. Um, you have markets going up, markets going down. And that's why, I think that's also why I was able to to grow a little bit every year because I'm focusing on not just on one market. You can you could see that companies who were focusing only on like the European market or only on the German market, for, for example, they're, they're closing now because that market is dead. But when market when mark one market is going down another goes up so that's why i'm trying to be to be everywhere so it's it's not huge sales but it's a little bit everywhere and that at the end of the year that still makes good sales so you will have at the uh the first trade shows you'll have like the whole board range there even the new pro models Probably, yeah. Um, I think it depends on uh, on the space I will have there, mm. because um, yeah, the lineup is getting is getting bigger every year, and um, yeah, <laughs> the space is limited. So I'm yeah. Not so sure would you I... take would are you going to take both graphics? No, um, I would definitely only take uh, the new ones. Like because... no, no. Sorry, when I said both graphics, I mean. Would you do like the graphic, the new graphic, and then also the carbon one? Yeah, I, I, I think I understand, understood you right. Now, I would only bring uh, the, the new carbon ones because these this will be like the official lineup for 2019. Ah, I understand. Uh, I understand. The, yeah. the one with the with the full graphics, they will they can they will be still available, but not like not will not be the official lineup anymore okay and these are the new graphics that you've just seen yeah yeah you know what's going to happen don't you everyone's going to want the graphics that's <laughs> just the way of skateboarding you i know... don't know it's, <laughs> it always can go both ways <laughs> the thing is with new graphics it's always a struggle because you you invest so much time and also money to bring new graphics and yeah. think yeah this is this is hot and then <laughs> people come in like oh like i prefer the other one i, I know 
it's oh, it's it, so it's destroying like, sometimes. Yeah, you can never satisfy everybody with graphics. It's just you have to deal with the fact that people, some people are gonna like him and some people won't. Yeah, I I have this I have this running joke with one of the distributors in Australia where you know whatever isn't isn't available. You know, if there's like a yeah. a rain deck or a land yachts deck that just isn't available, I mean, it's in their yeah. lineup, but you know, for some reason, you know, you can't get it. Then every skater wants it, you know, because it's sort of like they can't have it. All of a sudden, they do want it, but we don't know whether it's like just one person that's just going around to every skate shop asking for that one board. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, you know. That, that's actually Powell's marketing scheme right now. Is that <laughs> you can't have it. That's, that's how you build up a huge demand by not letting people have something. <laughs> just, just kidding. I don't want to talk bad about Powell. But I just realized that it's, this is actually a good idea just to tell people, hey, we got something new, but nah, no, yeah, you can't have it. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, I, it is one of the, I mean, there's, you know, the large parts of the fashion industry are like built around that. I mean, you could say Supreme, that is the Supreme model, mm -hmm. Supreme skate shop, you know, something that, you know, they open up the doors in the morning and there's only, you know, 10 t-shirts, that's it, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you queue up, you grab it and that's it. It's all done. Yeah. Then they go on eBay and they double the price. <laughs> yeah. That's something I would never want to do, but it definitely happened this year that people were asking me for boards and I told them, yeah, you can have it, but you have to wait like three weeks. <laughs> That's something I, I, was, I didn't plan or didn't want to do, but unfortunately it happened. Yeah. And can you make boards all year round, like even in winter? Or do, is the yeah. curing process slower? No, um, it doesn't doesn't make a difference because um, um, I always have <clears throat> the same temperature in the workshop, and also all the presses are heated, so that doesn't affect anything. Oh right, yeah, yep. I've seen that technology. I know what you're talking about. Um, it would just be like it would take too long to uh, to let the boards cure without without heating. Um, because I don't use um, wood glue. I, I All the boards are pressed with epoxy resin, and uh, the epoxy resin cures a lot faster and also stronger if you if you heat it up. So how long does it, does it take to make a board? Like, how long does it have to stay in the press? No, no, how long from start to finish? If you... um, oh, that, that really, that depends on the board. Um, goes from 45 minutes to like two and a half hours um, working time, but um, distributed on uh, several steps. Okay, so you do a lot of pressing first and then you do like uh, CNC yeah, and... Exactly, yeah. you have different steps, um, especially with, uh, with the LAF construction where I have to like uh, pour the urethane first and, uh, and there are so many steps until just until the, the core is ready to press. When you're making those those ones, do you just like go, why did I come up with this idea? Like as in like, 
just it, it sounds like a labor of love you know creating these you know oh, laf absolutely. sort of construction <laughs> <laughs> no, but the whole thing i'm doing is actually a labor of love because, <laughs> yeah see i i never thought oh i'm gonna go i'm gonna make skateboards to become rich no i build skateboards because i fucking love building skateboards <laughs> so um i just i i like everything about it i see i i didn't I didn't study anything related to that. I'm, I studied work psychology. Um, I would I would work probably in like somewhere in human resources right now if I didn't start <laughs> building work. So something completely different. But I just realized that this is actually my passion. And uh, yeah, I and also like I, I told you I like to think a lot, and so I like to think a lot about like what new construction could I could I make and try out new things and that's that's the most important and the most fun thing in my work do you also see other people's boards and then wonder how they did it uh that sounds um maybe a bit rude but no oh no 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 not as in like as in like uh how uh just okay so the last time I visited Loaded, they mm-hmm. um, uh, they had like all these boards in their office, and it's just like it wasn't like they were. It was just the love of like the techniques and so forth. Just looking at the techniques, and they could, you know, they were just looking at how different people were building stuff and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That oh yeah, I wonder how they did that. Like not as in like uh, you know in, in a good way or a bad way, but just like. Yeah it's your job so it's almost like you can't help yourself mm-hmm. yeah of course i i love looking at other boards other brands see what they're doing and um of course that also sometimes that gives you some inspiration if you see like oh look what they do how they do it and then you realize hmm but actually i could do it similar but different mm. and that's that's definitely a part like keeping your eyes open and I don't copy other brands but of course you you get some inspiration from other stuff. I wonder if they're looking at your boards. I'm sure they are. I don't know. I I, I guess I hope so. <laughs> I, I think it's 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 good that if like if everybody would just like make wooden boards there would be no no progression in board building so i think it's it's cool to see like another company coming out with a new construction and then i want to like yeah how did i do it and i i usually i know what they did but sometimes it's just like combinations of stuff i think oh that's actually a pretty good idea and uh that's it's interesting to see what happens and it would not be interesting if every company would just sell uh, maple boards hmm. could there be a skateboard deck that's too light like i know you've mentioned that a few times oh, i, I want to make a lighter board or this but yeah. does it get to a point where a board is like too light um i think too light would not be the problem but the problem is that the lighter it gets the more difficult it is difficult it is to make it still comfortable to ride hmm. because um <clears throat> Like to make the board a board as light as possible actually is using a foam core and only carbon fiber. But like foam core carbon fiber, you have to build it 
completely stiff so the fibers don't delaminate from the core mm. and a completely stiff carbon fiber board writes absolutely terrible um because i i did that um i built boards i i have a board that is like 900 grams or maybe 850 and that's nothing but it, it yeah. wrote really really uncomfortable because if you have wood in your board it absorbs some vibration and the carbon fibers they don't like every you can feel every stone every crack in the in the pavement and in every slide you get vi vibrated off the board mm. so actually like building a board as light as possible is fun but it's not interesting in in a in a builder's uh, perspective, because you want to build a board that rides as comfortable as possible. Sure, if it's then also light, it's great. It's a, it's a great mix, but in the first place, it should be comfortable. The last couple of years, there's been some interest in how fast skateboarders can go. So they've done those descent in yeah. um, in Canada. Do you think a board builder can contribute to make a a skateboarder go faster i think so yeah um because i think if you manage to build a board with the most possible vibration absorption in it then uh it could become faster um, that's my way of thinking but i think it would not change much so maybe just would be yeah, maybe the cherry on top of the cake, but I, yeah. I don't think that the top speed challenge is um, something that you should aim at uh, when you're designing a new board because mm. that's I think that's not necessary. So this new pro model that you have coming out, it's going to be a, the fastest board you've ever made, do you think? So it's oh, got that, that depends, vibe, that vibrating, dampening. That depends on the rider who's riding <laughs> it. I... I I don't, I don't build like fast boards or slow boards. Um, sure, I try to build the boards that a skilled rider can go as fast as possible, but it's still depending on the skills. We talked about like scaling and so forth before. Would you ever make a board somewhere else just for no. quantity's sake? No, uh, that's the one thing I would definitely never do. Um, I already got a couple um, of of emails, messages from from board shops asking me if they can build my boards. But actually, that's one of my main thing is that I want to keep the production in house here. Maybe in a couple of a couple of years, it's not going to be me personally anymore who will laminate the boards. Mm. But it would it would still be made in house because yeah because of the quality control. Um, like I. There was one uh, one brand here in Europe um, a couple of years ago who uh, like let some ski builders um, make their boards, and they sent them pretty okay prototypes. And when he ordered the boards, they changed uh, the glue because mm. it was cheaper, and all the boards delaminated. That was mm. something when you receive the boards, when you receive the order, you cannot see what kind of glue they used. But if you start selling them and two weeks later, they all come back because they delaminate, then you have a huge problem. So that's something I don't want to have. So that's why I'm keeping the production in-house.
Yeah, it's like it, it's a it's a brand's worst nightmare, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And if that's you thought about almost the death of a brand. Yeah. There's. Have you ever have you thought about making other types of products, not like board products, but trucks or wheels or bearings or does that sort of thing interest you? It would actually interest me, but um, uh, that would be a lot, way too time consuming. Uh, that would take time I don't have. And also, I think that there are some pretty good um, wheels and trucks on the market. And like to, to, to make something different and also better, it would take a huge effort because I don't, I would not want to like bring out just the next um, Labeda um, standard wheel. If I would make some wheels, then I would want to have like a real impact and make something different. And that's pretty hard. So, and also pretty expensive. So no. Hmm. Swiss bearings is, has a huge impact in the skateboard market. Like that's a sort of, you know, Swiss as a brand, like a country as a brand. Yeah. Bearings made in Switzerland better? I don't think so. Um, especially not for skateboarding, um, because I think bearings is one of the most overrated things in uh, <laughs> in your skateboard. Um, the, you see, the cheaper the board, the more they advertise, like, oh, we have Avec 14 yes. uh, um, <laughs> bearings. And that's just the whole Abex thing, it works if you're using it for a machine which has like, uh, I don't know how many um, rotations per minute, but since these are like industrial bearings and we're using it for skateboarding, which is pretty, um, yeah, pretty slow um, compared to what they use it for in machines. Uh, you don't really feel a difference in uh, ABEC 3 or ABEC 9. It's my opinion. No. So I use the cheapest um, standard industrial bearings I can get. <laughs> no, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. We've been talking for nearly two hours. Oh, yeah. That's like, right. Uh, I feel really bad that, like, seeing you're a one-man band, that I've I've stopped production, that there's like some skater crying somewhere in the world because they've gone to the mailbox and they haven't got their rocket board yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's still some people waiting for the boards, but they are being made right now. So like now uh, I will go to have lunch and in the afternoon I will, def I will press some more boards. So you're pressing boards at the moment? What does yeah. a day look like for you? Is it like, do you do a little bit of everything all day or do you just do one thing all day? Like, okay, I'm just going to press and then um, tomorrow I'll just CNC. Yeah, usually it's just like one thing per day because um, if I press, I need to heat up all the presses and then that would just be like, that would not be worth it for just, for just one board. So uh, I heat them how all many up, presses so do you have? Five. Wow. You make I it sound press. like I should know that. <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, no, Why do you have just... five? <laughs> is that, Why not six? I yeah. Don't know. Is that just um, how many you can fit in the room? No, nah, it's just um, I started with um, one frame that had two slots. 
and then I built another frame with three slots. Um, also, one uh, press does three boards. No, um, actually, you can say uh, it's a frame that holds two molds. Oh, and, okay. and I actually, I press completely different than most of the other board builders. I, uh, I use um, a bladder press. So I have only a female mold. Oh. And then then you put the put the wood and the, the fibers in it and then the, the the male mold is actually a bladder that gets filled with compressed air and right. so that means i have like in one frame i have two slot uh slots where i can uh i can uh put the i have two backs in it and on the other frame i have three backs in it where i can put the molds in and how did you come up with this Oof, um, or is it is it this like a type of um, manufacturing process that you've um, adapted, or I actually I got it from from ski um, builders um, because ski builders used a lot of um, like the fire hoses um, just to to fill yeah to 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 press their their skis and. Then I was looking if it's possible to find um, these yeah, hoses in, uh, in in a way bigger size because at this uh, at the width of a board and I found some. There's actually one manufacturer in the whole world I found that made uh, made these these splatters or these hose. They're actually flat hoses they call them. They use for water. Right. And I just. Yeah, took them, cut them, closed them, and put a valve in them, and uh, now I fill them with with compressed air. So everything is complete DIY, but it works perfectly. Okay, so when you say a press, this is a press you've built. It's not like yeah. something that you've. Um, I just had this vision that there was some company out there that did, uh, you know, made these presses. Maybe. Um, I don't know, um, but no, I, I made everything by myself. Wow. But you didn't make the CNC machine. I didn't make it. I just, I bought it as a, as a kit and I, yeah, I put it together. But, uh, I, I <laughs> so didn't you did make, make it. That was the plan <laughs> in the first place, actually, but I didn't have time to do it. So I just bought, bought a kit. Oh, wow. And. It, was that that it sounds like that might have been part of the challenge as well like i mean that's part of the fun bit is putting it together right yeah. or making it yeah absolutely now that was first of all um i made it like this because it was fun building a machine mm. and also like if you build it by yourself or like if you put together all the parts by yourself i didn't make the parts but then it's easier to fix it if there's something if something breaks because then you already know how the machine works right so is this See, why is this why you don't have a um the uh printing the laminates because you can't make it yourself i i could but it would be super hard to to build a sublimation press so are they really expensive? 
I guess I didn't really get into detail yet, but I, I think so, yeah. Hmm. See, I, I try to make everything by myself that is possible, but sometimes I have to realize that <laughs> but sometimes I let some, let some pros do the work. What else have you built there in the, in the factory that is used? Um, you mean the machinery or? Yeah, the machinery. What else is there? Um, actually, not much because, um, sure, um, I have some, some sanders, uh, um, different stuff, but I, that's not possible. To, or that was, I didn't build that myself. I mm. just bought them. But I think that the, I built the press, I built all the molds, um, I make the heating of the molds uh, myself. Um, How do you make a yeah. mold? Uh, I uh, I draw them in a in a, in a CAD, so the CAD, yeah, and I I route them on a. Oh, on so you use the CNC, you use the CNC machine to make the the mold. Yeah, I use uh. to make the mold and also to cut the boards, uh, to drill the holes, to make the wheel wells, the flush cuts, and everything. So, do you do a three D design of the board, and then you yeah. make the the mold from that yeah um i, I yeah, nice. in the beginning when i started uh building boards i all the the molds were handmade um that was pretty hard and took very long time and then when i got the cnc i drew all my previous molds uh, i drew them in a in the cad and all the new molds i make them directly in a I'm in the CAD, and uh, then I already have the, the 3D model, and you can already like have a look at the board. Then you cut the mold, press one, cut it, stand on it, do some adjustments, do it again, <laughs> do it again, and then like at some point, yeah, you you're comfortable with the board. So can a mold go through a lot of changes? Yeah. Um, like in the beginning, it was more changes. Now it's not so more any uh, anymore, yeah. uh, not so much anymore, because yeah, you get some experience with uh, with time, and you know what's possible to press. You know what's not possible to press, because yeah, you're bending wood in two dimensions, and wood doesn't actually like that. So mm. it's not possible to do that infinite. So you always have to know where your limits are with the pressing. And yeah, the time you get some experience and you know a little bit like what can you do, what can't, but it's not possible. And um, what's your favorite wood? Um, it's hard to tell um, because it, it always depends on what you want to do with it. Usually, I use maple veneer. Uh, then I started using uh, bamboo sheets, like vertical laminated bamboo. Hmm. Both great but for different purposes and then i have like a different like my my only secret the wood in the in the lightest fuck construction yeah that is also pretty interesting or pretty nice to work with but also like completely different so does the maple come from canada yeah and um, where does the bamboo come from i don't think it really grows in switzerland no the bamboo comes from china okay um, Did that take I mean, a while to find a good supply, or 
didn't take me a while because actually right now um, it's pretty easy to contact um, Chinese um, wood uh, distributors through the well-known internet platforms. Mm. So um, you just contact a couple of them, uh, order some samples and do some tests. And uh, But I, I really, I made sure that all the wood I'm using comes from a sustainable forest um, some, some, with some certifications, just to make sure that the wood I'm using now, that they can use the same trees or just the same forests also in a couple of years. Yeah, so China's just passed like some laws over there that manufacturers aren't allowed to use the Chinese maple anymore, so... They've just been decimating their forests, I presume. I presume it's a sustainability thing. I think so, yeah. I heard about that for the first time when you were talking with uh, with Jeff yeah. uh, on the podcast. Yeah. didn't know about it. But um, I was never interested in Chinese maple because best maple is the one that, uh, from Canada. So um, I'm importing the maple directly from a small veneer mill in Canada. Um, and yeah, with the, with the bamboo, I was also like making sure that they have the right certificates, that it's a sustainable, um, that yeah, everything is made sustainable. Mm. And... Can, I think Chinese market changed a lot that they realized what their customers want and they realized, especially in the bamboo part, they realized that most of European or American brands who buy bamboo from them, they're actually looking for certified bamboo and not just something. Yeah, I think it's also just the maturity of the market. You know, you, they are going, their market is maturing. So they're going through that, hey, let's just chop down whatever we can find and ship it overseas to how do we have a sustainable business? Because, you know, I mean, that's the most important thing is like long-term, you know, I think when, when a country and when businesses think, you know, am I, what I'm doing, are we going to be able to do this in 20, 30, 40 years? Yeah. That's like really important. I think China's been thinking a lot about that the last 20 years, at least the last 10 years. I, I think so too, yeah. I think they realize that their, their resources, resources are not infinite. Mm. So they, they're actually thinking ahead right now. Mm. And it's, it's actually, it's, it's weird that you can you see that from China, but yeah. uh, and still other countries, you don't really see it. Mm. They're not thinking ahead. Nah, yeah, or not anymore. Um, it's weird that actually the that the that country that was always like the bad guy, uh, <laughs> Iron Iron mentally, I uh, I don't know how to pronounce that word. Um, yeah, I don't. There was there were always the bad guys, and I think now they changed, and some of the good guys they did not change or did or changed it the wrong way. Yeah, no, there's. It it always surprises me, you know, the American market where, you know, they focus so much on money and in recycling, renewing, in solar, these things, it's just so much money to be made that it, it doesn't come down to money. 
it just comes down to other ideologies, I think. But yeah. China's an interesting market where when they just decide to do something, you know, they just do it and then they focus the country and everyone's on board. It really is fascinating. Yeah. I just listened to a, a really good podcast with James Altucher and he was talking to a, it's like American Chinese person. He ran Microsoft, I think in China. And he was talking about the startups and just how that's just almost just pure capitalism, just the way yeah. that they run these, they're like death matches. Like he yeah. likened them to gladiator matches that these startups, it's like, you know, someone, everyone has the same idea. There's a thousand companies and they just battle it out until there's just one winner. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> So the Dalana communism became pure cat. I know, I know. It's just, it's so bizarre. But they just, what they are looking for are business models that can't be copied. And they just come up with different ideas. And the one company that he used as an example, they've hired, it was to do with food delivery. They're trying yeah. to get a food delivery for 70 cents. So, mm -hmm. and just the way that they've done it, they have created a electronic scooter network around the country. They've employed like 400,000 people and trained them. They're delivering 25 million meals a day. Wow. <laughs> like it's, and the example, and what he was saying was they have to be efficient because if they're selling it for 70 cents, and it's costing a dollar seventy. They're losing twenty five million dollars a day. So yeah. they have a big incentive to make sure that they're like you know they're hitting their numbers. Yeah. See, yeah. it always was the saying like everything is bigger in Texas, but <laughs> as soon as you like see into China, you know that everything is bigger in China. Oh yeah. I I I see like skateboard factories in China. They make thousands of boards, at ten thousands. And yeah, if I compare that to like the amount of boards I'm making, it's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I think we're also aiming at different markets. And do, money never comes into it. Like, are you going to get rich from rocket long, no. longboards? No. Um, I think it's a. It's hard to get rich um, from uh, from the longboard industry at the moment, and b. That was never my plan. Um, my plan was to be happy in my life. And uh, I made that by doing what I love. And being rich was never important. Uh, for me, it's important that my bills are paid. And yeah. And you have happy customers all around the world. It seems so, yeah. Um, it seems that all, most of them are very happy. And that makes me happy too. Because that's that was my main goal, like to, to, to build build boards that people like people yeah. like to run. so we're going to have to wrap it up because I will I, I say this in all the podcasts but I can talk forever we, <laughs> never, we didn't get into your boards I think we need to do part two when you release the boards because I want to hear yeah. about the new construction of the new board absolutely we can do that so that means maybe in uh, in February February uh, March yeah yeah 
Because we, I mean, we sort of skirted around, talked a little bit about your boards, but we never, we didn't go into much detail, did we? But you know what? People out there, the skaters know your boards inside and out, I bet. But if they haven't, rocketlongboards.ch. Is that right? Yeah. Rocketlongboards.ch or .com. Both works. Both works. And where yeah. can people find you on the internet? If on Instagram. Um, we're uh, at Rocket Longboards on Instagram yep. and also Rocket Longboards on Facebook. And they're the two main social channels. Do you do like YouTube? Um, I have a YouTube channel, um, but we, I've just put on the videos I put on Facebook anyways, because like most of the people like, like watching the, yeah. the stuff on Facebook, yeah. but yeah, there's, there's a channel. And I know I should work more on the YouTube channel, but I, yeah, I did forget about that a bit. Maybe some more in the future. Yeah, I think YouTube sort of uh, probably favors longer format. I think that's what Calvin was saying in one of the podcasts that, you know, the stuff that most longboarding companies, skateboarding companies put out is probably more suited to that, you know, faster, smaller sort of type videos that gets yeah. consumed just amazingly I, on I, Facebook. I heard heard that, or I heard the podcast uh, when Calvin was saying that, and I thought, yeah, exactly, because mm. if you have a video more than two, three minutes on Facebook, nobody will watch it. Mm. On YouTube, somebody, people really take their time and also watch like a 10-minute video. Mm. that's not working on Facebook mm. yeah it's interesting the way Instagram and Facebook I know they're the same company but they're sort of different products but how they're and now even Messenger within Facebook is mm. using these stories and yeah. you know, different sort of uh, video formats yeah so, I didn't do it a single story yet I yeah didn't really care about that. I know I should, but yeah. But there's, the list just, there's not things, enough time in the day, is there? The list of things I should do is really really long. <laughs> you could just give that to your social media them. person. Just give that to your social media person. I wish I had that. <laughs> I do the whole social media myself. <laughs> yeah. See. Um, yeah. My my day only has like ten hours, and yeah. I have to focus myself on the most important part. Yeah, getting longboards to uh, happy customers. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for chatting. It was. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was like a, it was a really good conversation. I really enjoyed that. Thanks, me too. The uh, I did. I had no idea that it was just you. Okay. Like that's not that that doesn't matter, but it's just very impressive that Thank you. you're making these boards. Uh, but the thing is, is there's a lot of people around the world that are doing the same thing, I suppose, you know. But um, yeah, I think yeah, you'll give no, uh, a lot of inspiration to uh, you know, a lot of board shops in um, in America that are uh, you know finding it a bit tough at the moment. I would love to see some more of them. Because, yeah. uh, um, 
a, a wise man once said, "A lifting tide, uh, a rising tide lifts all the boat, all the boats." And I think if we all work together um, on the community, on a scene, on longboarding, just as how it is, all the also the companies should work together, and then we will have a bigger scene, and the cake gets bigger, and everybody gets his slice of the pie. Mm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think. Uh... And it seems to be happening a bit. I think there's, uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff happening. So I think next yeah. year is going to be a like an amazing year for uh, for longboarding, especially in yeah. Europe. There's a lot of stuff happening in Europe next oh, year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, the I roller games happening next year. I see a positive future for longboarding. Definitely. Oh yeah, yeah, and. I think uh, with the electric skateboards coming in, which are basically electric longboards, let's face it, they're longboards. Um, yeah. That is just going to introduce longboarding to a whole new, like, market. So, yeah. you know, Absolutely. these people are literally jumping on longboards and realizing, hey, I can longboard. <laughs> yeah. But that would be enough material for another podcast, I think. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Got to stop. Got to stop. Thanks for chatting. Yeah. Hey, Daniel. thanks. You? Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. That's it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And wow, you got to the end. That's two hours. Uh, are these too long? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I should be a little bit more disciplined. So, uh, first off, we are on the Anchor platform now. So, this podcast is on the Anchor platform. You can listen to it anywhere. You know, you can listen on Apple, on Overcast. That's how I listen to my podcasts on the Overcast app. It's really good. It runs on my iPhone. You can listen to it on Stitcher, Breaker, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We should be there. But I encourage you to download the Anchor app, okay? And with the Anchor app, you can go to my podcast and you can leave me a message. Like seriously, you can rate my show on the Anchor app, you know, if you want to. But please send me a message and I will include them in future episodes. I might even have a special thing where I put in, so whatever you want to do, I don't know, maybe. Do you want to advertise your product? Hey, things, Jack. You want to advertise, get that? Send me a message on the Anchor app and I'll stick it in my podcast. So, and give me feedback. Do you like these? Do you like the long ones, the short ones? Uh, and with that Anchor app, you can be on the podcast. Not only can you send me a message and I'll include it in my podcast, you can let me know. Those people that do send me messages, hey, I might give you, send you a link and we'll do a podcast together. You know what I mean? So it's one of the reasons I moved to the Anchor app because it's easier to create a podcast. And I'm actually thinking about doing a how to start your own podcast episode. Just everything I've learned over the last couple of years doing podcasts, the recording, the editing. I might just get into what I do and how simple it is. And it might be for you because I'm just being selfish I want to listen to more skateboarding podcasts because I'm in my car, I travel around, I like to listen to podcasts. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people out there that do. 
like to listen to it at work, that sort of thing. That's it. No more. Send me a message. Boosted. We've got the Boosted podcast coming up next, the Boosted episode. That one's a good one. Again, it's a little bit old. I'm sorry, Boosted, but it's coming. And, ooh, I've got a lot more coming. I'm back. I'm doing episodes. I'll see you on the next one. Hop out.